Radio 3, Discovering Music. And for today's programme, Charles Hazelwood is at the City Halls in Glasgow with the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra. There's an old Hungarian saying that a sneeze during the telling of a story is clear proof that the story is true. Well, have you ever heard a bigger sneeze in music than this? And so Kodai's Hari Janosch suite begins, music drawn from his opera of the same name, which he composed between 1925 and 1926. Now, the story of Hari Janosch is drawn from the so-called true-life adventures of one Baron Munchausen, a soldier who fought in the Napoleonic Wars and then recounted his adventures to the Hungarian poet Janosch Garay. I say Janosch Garay, but of course, as many of you will know, in Hungary, it's common practice that the Christian name comes after the surname. So, in fact, I should say Garay Janosch. And it's on the basis of the words that Janosch Garay wrote down that the story for the Hari Janosch opera was born. Let me just praise that story for you. Hari Janosch sits in the bar of the inn at Nagyaboni, his native village in Transdanubia, spinning yarns about his daring but improbable exploits. In his first adventure, he moves a frontier guardhouse across the Russian-Hungarian border in order to free the Austrian emperor's daughter, whose name is Marie Louise, she also happens to be Napoleon's wife. She's imprisoned inside. And as a reward, Marie-Louise invites him and his girlfriend, Ilka, to live in the imperial palace. There, he tames a wild horse and cures the emperor with a magic potion from Nagyaboni. Later, Hardy, promoted to colonel, leads the imperial army against Napoleon at the Battle of Milan. He defeats the French army single-handedly, takes Napoleon prisoner. Marie-Louise offers to divorce Napoleon and marry him with half of the empire as dowry, but he refers to return to Nagyaboni with his beloved Ilka. What a decent chap. So at face value, then, these are the wild claims of an old man, a Don Quixote, even a Walter Mitty. But as Kodai himself said, Hari is the personification of the Hungarian storytelling imagination. He doesn't tell lies, he imagines stories. He's a poet. What he tells us may never have happened, but he's experienced it in spirit, so it is more real than poetry. Kodai goes on to say that Hari Janosch dreams of long-desired Hungarian freedom and of the strength and valor of his people. And so, on a deeper level, this work is a great essay in Hungarian nationalism. Well, after the sneeze we just played, we find ourselves in a dark place, the melody growing out of the primordial soup, you might say. According to Bartok, who's a great friend and colleague of Kodai's, Kodai had a certain predilection for melancholy and uncertainty. This music is certainly uncertain in the sense that it is Janus faced. I'll show you what I mean. It seems to be both in the major and in the minor. And of course, like all good music, which seems to have its origins in folk tradition, this theme is set over a drone.
Well, could I then set about developing just two aspects of that theme that we played you? That falling triad, and then this other little feature. So we'll just chart his development of those two fragments now and just listen to how aspirational the music is from that dark start we just played. Climbing in hope and confidence, searching for glory, if you will. And the mood continues to grow in optimism and confidence. And at full force, you can feel the elan, the readiness for action. But could I breaks it off, and with the last fragment of the tune, it becomes simply a resigned memory already. There are six movements to Kodai's Haryanosh suite, and it's interesting that the three odd-numbered ones are of, generally speaking, a kind of exalted tone and certainly of folk inspiration. The three even-numbered movements, on the other hand, have an almost mocking, paradistic quality and certainly plenty of full-blooded humor. This second section is called Viennese Musical Clock, and in it, Hari is summoning up the magic atmosphere of the Viennese capital, Clock, I say. Well, let's look at how Kodai characterizes this majestic, great Viennese musical clock. Various ingredients, various players that go into making it the beautiful, tuneful machine it is. First of all, obviously enough, chimes. Then listen to how those same chimes are combined with the piano, playing the same notes, but obviously in a different way. Now, I'm going to add in tam-tam, which is played very delicately, so it sounds for all the world like a very large, low clock bell. And also, a rolling side drum, the mechanism of this clock, the clockwork. <laughs> 
The final ingredient, what we'll play for you now, the winds and the horns who come in over the top with essentially also a chiming figure. But as you hear, the melody develops into a neat little ditty which is actually based on a Hungarian swineherd's song. A curious juxtaposition, you might say, in this polished Viennese setting. And another reason, perhaps, to doubt the veracity of Hari's reminiscences. This quoting of a real Hungarian folk song is a constant hallmark of Hari Janos and of Kodai in general. He believed that only through the absorption of folk models could modern music reach a wider audience. Hari Janos was Kodai's attempt to secure a place in the opera house and through the suite, the concert hall, for Hungarian music more or less in its original form. And as Bela Bartok said, all Kodai's compositions are rooted in the Hungarian soil. You might or might not know that these two shared a very common purpose, and I quote, the vision of an educated Hungary reborn from the people rose before us. We decided to devote our lives to its realization. Education through acquaintance with Hungarian tradition, in other words, folk songs. The juxtaposition, therefore, of the traditional with the experimental. Well, you'll notice there are no strings in Kodai's Viennese musical clock. And like the master orchestrator he was, he holds the celesta back until just a little further in. You hear it glistening alongside the oboe, an unusual coupling. After all, you often find the celesta, well, you usually find it alongside more soft-etched winds like flute or clarinet. But here it gives a silver lining to the sound. And the tune continues to come round, unchanged. This movement is a rondo, after all. In other words, a piece of music where the theme will come literally round and round. And it's a favorite form, as you may know, for classical-era Viennese music. So here is Kudai faithfully creating a complete Viennese picture for his Hari. Here's another outing we'll play you now, more stridently colored now. And listen to the cocksure key change that happens. We're in E-flat major, and we go to garishly bright C major. There is swaggering life to old Hardy yet. The third piece of the Hardy Janos suite is entitled simply Song, and it is actually the only music which quotes directly from a song in the opera. The opera Hardy Janos is more accurately depicted as a zingspiel, in other words, literally song play. Most of the action is further, the plot advanced through dialogue. The music, singing and also instrumental music, is used simply to heighten the atmosphere. 
Now, this song in question here, it's another genuine Hungarian folk song, and you'll notice when you listen to it how full of the interval of a fourth it is. It seems to be a real hallmark of this tune, and indeed of so many other great Hungarian folk melodies. The original title of the song, Between the Tisza and the Danube, a longing evocation of the land trisected by the two mighty rivers. And in the opera, we hear Hari and his sweetheart Ilka singing this nostalgic song about their distant homeland. Remember, they're already well embedded in Vienna by now. And the tune crops up several times in the opera as a whole. It's something of a constant leitmotif which symbolizes love of the fatherland of Hungary. Scott Dickinson, ladies and gentlemen. So in this movement, Kodai stylizes the sound very accurately of the Hungarian Gypsy Orchestra in exquisitely delicate colors with the unmistakable sound of the cymbalum, the epitome of Hungarian folk music. It's being played for us and with us today by Heather Corbett. A little bit later on, we'll be taking a much more detailed journey of exploration into the heart of the cymbalum. But for now, just have a listen to this, what follows directly off the back of that viola solo, the first statement of the song theme, a dreamlike episode, hypnotically repeating figures in the cymbalum and also in the clarinet. And having heard Hari, if you like, at the outset in the voice of the viola, we now hear from Ilka as an oboe. There are four outings of the tune in this number, and whilst each one has a different accompaniment or mood, the tune always remains the same, in other words, undeveloped, a symbol perhaps of the undiminishing, unchanged strength of the fatherland. And you'll hear also, a little bit in, a tender solo cello, the cello comes to represent Hari a little bit later on in this movement. Perhaps this represents his tender love for Ilka.
bit by bit, the dreamlike episodes like the one we just played start to infect the outings of the tune. It's Hari singing again this time, a more strident horn accompanied by delicate flurries in flute and violins. Talking of coloristic development, now you hear the Timbaland with a cadenza-like feature, or several cadenza-like features, which occur in and around the theme, perhaps the personification of ecstatic love. It's effectively an accompanied cadenza, isn't it? And so the music drifts off into love-drunk and nostalgia-filled night. On to the fourth movement now. You may remember from my brief praise of the story of Hari Yanosh at the start that one of his tallest claims is that he all but single-handedly defeated Napoleon and his army at the Battle of Milan. Well, this movement is entitled The Battle and Defeat of Napoleon. As you'd expect, it starts with quite robust percussion. And then a pure quotation of a comic Hungarian tune comes in in the trombones. This is, I suppose, to epitomize Hari's army, and it's full of a kind of swagger. It is strident and resolved, but with just a little touch of, I don't know, Sergeant Bilko. It ends, after all, on the wrong note. And now, a little bit later on, the music becomes more and more confused. And think about it, Napoleon's army haven't even turned up yet.
just one supplicant saxophone, one member of Hardy's army who'd, I don't know, rather not be here perhaps, a bit like a knock-kneed member of Dad's army. Now in the midst of this mounting confusion, there's a fanfare. All well and good, ladies and gentlemen, except that's not what Kodai wrote. He bites a deliberately wrong note, the third note of that phrase, just as the first trombone theme we played had at the end of their phrase, at the start of the movement, a B natural in an F major tonality. So a suggestion, therefore, of that dark and dirty interval, the tritone, an augmented fourth from F leading up to a B natural, a very ominous interval indeed. So, what of Napoleon? Well, he enters now with his army. It seems a bit of a pantomime ogre. And you hear the swish of the cymbal, surely Hardy's sabre bristling for action. what that music is lumbering up to is this, little echoes of the Marseillaise, God forbid, the French national anthem. So this kind of butchered Marseillaise gathers momentum and is then cut off in its prime, that last bang, bang, as Napoleon is quite literally forced onto his knees. What follows is a grotesque funeral march, a moaning saxophone taking the trombone melody we heard right at the start of the piece. And that theme is now completely transformed by this croaking saxophone, the broken Napoleon, I suppose, and oily, slow, lugubrious trombones around and about it. A wonderful example in music of how essentially the same statement can say two completely different things.
The fifth movement of Hare Janosch Suite is entitled Intermezzo. And it's based, this music is based entirely on a Verbonkosch, which in other words is a Hungarian army recruiting song. Now the Verbonkosch eventually evolved, this song style, it eventually evolved into a classic Hungarian national dance, which many people are familiar with, the Chardas. Kodai lifted this Verbonkosch from a Hungarian piano tutor of about 1800 by Gatish Istvan. And incidentally, Janos Bihari was the most famous Verbonkosch composer, and he was born in Nagyaboni, just like Hari Janos. How does it begin? Yes, just like that. A little comic pause inserted after that before the tune proper is allowed to begin. Now, this intermezzo is in ternary form. In other words, you get section A, contrasting section B, and then section A returns. And as you'll hear, the cymbalum has an important role to play, particularly in the A sections, with virtuoso running notes, a classic hallmark of the fast Fairbonkosch. We'll put that in context now. Shortly afterwards, we hear the second theme of this A section, still full of that da 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 rhythm and always heralded by this heavy, slightly dragged bar. As I said, there's a middle section, a B section, and we hear a fresh tune here, which, whilst contrasting, has just enough hallmarks of the main Fairbankosh theme to keep the unity of the piece alive. How do you suppose you know when you're back in the A section again? The last movement of Kodai's Haryanash suite, entitled Entrance of the Emperor and His Court, is a monumental march movement in three sections. To begin with, we hear stately percussion. We can imagine Hari there, puffed up with pride, 
But the tune, when it comes, sounds downright cheeky, complete with two piccolos, xylophone, and glockenspiel. Again, Hardy's reminiscence and our sense of it are two different things. What chord do you expect to come next? To give you one alternative. Yep, works perfectly well. How about this one? A little bit darker, but still perfectly appropriate. Well, what actually Kodai chooses is a much more awkward relationship. You've got that held F natural in the woodwinds. And what he gives you by way of accompaniment, principally in the strings, is a B major chord. Actually, it's a C flat major chord, but it's the same thing. So essentially, again, it's a tritonal relationship, deliciously sour. And hot on its heels, the trumpets and the cornets enter with a second theme, another new melody, but again, it almost feels like music we've already heard. There is a third theme. Again, it's a folk song quotation from a Hungarian folk song called Hey, Young Shika, Young Shika. In other words, Hey, Johnny, Johnny. And Kodai Mark, this was a theme he intended to address to Hari himself personally. Well, you can hear how this actual folk song quotation inflects other material. Just listen to this from the very first theme. And now this from the folk song. Like Bartok, I suppose, Kodai's own original melodies are still full of the same DNA as the music of his country's soil. In a wonderful culmination later on, Kodai brings both his first two themes back simultaneously. At the very end, in a further unifying gesture, the bells return with exactly the same notes as in the Viennese musical clock, albeit in a different order. And there's a final coup de théâtre in the very last bar. A huge thwack on the bass drum. A final demonstration of Hari's vigor, perhaps, or the world at large popping his balloon.
Thanks very much. Well, together with the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra leader Bernard Doherty, we'll now perform the suite Harry Janosch by Kodai. <laughs> 